Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly dive into both movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mario. His name is Luigi. That's not true. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. It is October 31st, 2023, in case you're wondering why we're dressed like this. It's Halloween. This is episode 407, and yeah, like you said, all of that and more coming to you in the medium of the podcast, and we're going to jump right into it, because we have a time limit today. Yes, and because uh, it is Halloween, and we got some tricks and treating to do later tonight. So, let's get right into it, and we start with the music section. Mm-hmm. Start the music section with the billboard. Start the billboard with the Hot 100. And it is definitely still going to be a cruel summer, according to the weather forecast, <laughs> as Taylor Swift, Cruel Summer, is your number one song. Yeah. At two, Paint the Town Red by Doja Cat. At three, Snooze by SZA. Coming in at four, I Remember Everything. By Zach Bryan, featuring Casey Musgraves, popping back up into the top five. And then, rounding out said top five, Fast Car by Luke Combs. Yes, also back after a brief departure. Yep. As for your album chart, your billboard 200. At number one, one more time, at number one, is one more time, dot, 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 by Blink-182. Debuting at uh, number one this week. Yes, that does mean that last week's number one, um, For All the Dogs by Drake, comes down to number two. Uh, wait, no, that wasn't last week's no. number one. That was two weeks ago, number Bad one. Bad Bunny was last week's number yes, one. Yes, we'll get there. Uh, because Bad Bunny dropped far, because that number three was Hackney Diamonds by the Rolling Stones. Yep. Then, coming in at number four, last week's number one, Nadie Sabre Lo Que Va A Pasar Mañana by Bad Bunny. And then, rounding out your top five, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Back to just tease us, I guess. Yes. Uh, if you like any of those albums, or if you want to listen to one more time and our thoughts about it, you can listen to last week's show. Uh, but we have new releases. Mm-hmm. Starting with LXXXVII. <laughs> Um, XL is 40, so this would be 88, 50 plus. Yes, that's yeah. the 88 uh-huh. by that's actress. That's how that's how that works. <laughs> because that was before, I was like, wait, why are we subtracting 50 from 30 to 28? That didn't make sense, <laughs> or, or 22, but that's right, you have to put the X in front of the L to get XL uh, for 40. Uh, we also have. Equal strain on all parts by the late Jimmy Buffett. Yes, his final posthumous, or his final album, his first posthumous album. Yes, first posthumous album, because (laughs) there will be more unearthed records coming from Jimmy Buffett. Uh, We also have Blanket by Kevin Abstract. So that may or may not actually be an album. (laughs) Aging by Kevin Drew. Bone Orphans by Laura Veers, or What That Bottom Drawer in the Garage Is. All the Phone Orphans. 
Uh, we also have The Comeback Kid by Marnie Stern. And lastly, Little Bit of Sun by Semisonic. Yes, that's Semisonic. <laughs> yes. They're closing time, right? That's Semisonic? Yes. Yeah. Uh, except they never close because they continue to put out albums. Something like that. Well, you know, say they don't have to go home, but they can't record here. That's true. Anyways, let's get into some music news, and we start with the Beatles. What year is it? What decade is it? Because what has been described as the Beatles' last song has recently completed a recently completed version of Now and Then that includes contributions from all four members is about to enter the realm of the now. The long-teased track will finally reach the public's ear in one week, on Thursday, November 2nd, this upcoming Thursday. That's not all the Beatle news for Beatlemaniacs. Just over one week beyond that, on November 10th, Apple Corps Limited and Capital uh, UME will release refreshed and expanded editions of the two 1973 collections that long stood as the most cherished greatest hit sets from the group. Uh, the 1962-66 and 1967-70 albums, a.k.a. the Red and the Blue albums. The track list for both collections have been considerably expanded, updating sets that originally held 26-28 to 28 tracks each, with these new additions now containing 38-37 to 37 songs, respectively. So an additional 10 songs unearthed from the Beatles' vault. See, Taylor, yeah. you're not the only one who can do it. <laughs> well, specifically one song that we haven't heard. Um, as for the expanded Red and Blue albums, I imagine that they'll just probably put on more songs from those eras that weren't on those deck records before because of maybe science restraints, because these were actual LPs in 1973. Now, with streaming and CDs, they can slap as many songs as they want on that thing. So yes, yeah, I imagine... made that very clear for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they will. Um, these will probably be now the more the most definitive greatest hits collections of of their entire careers with all those extra songs stuck in there. So uh, Beatles fans uh, will have a lot to enjoy in the next couple of weeks. Uh, while this will be hitting streaming, I wonder if they will also for the holidays be releasing a more expanded collector's edition. Oh, I bet. I bet there's going to be some expensive big package what, what, that you can buy here. Do, do I hear the sound of money being made <laughs> over that idea? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Speaking of money being made, yes. and speaking of bonus tracks, hey, Taylor, I know I just kind of bashed you there, but hi, it's you. <laughs> You're back on our news again. <laughs> uh, because on the day of the release of 1989, Taylor's version... She, once again, set a Spotify record in becoming the artist with the most streams in a single day in the streaming service history, according to a statement from Spotify itself. The company added that on top of that, 1989, Taylor's version, had set the 2023 record as Spotify's most streamed album in a single day so far this year. While Spotify did not release overall numbers for the album or Swiss total as an artist, as its custom 
uh, when announcing records being broken, the company did say that the new vault track, Slut, uh, wait, wait, we're explicit, Slut, <laughs> Taylor's version, debuted in the U.S. at number one with 5.2 million streams and globally with 11.3 million streams. On the global chart, meanwhile, a non-vault track, Style, Taylor's version, slipped just slightly ahead of Slut, debuting with 11.6 million streams. So everyone's jumping in on that Style track. I mean, not super surprising. We knew that Midnight had previously held this record. It was the most listened to Spotify uh, record last year in 2022 on its debut. Mm -hmm. And so now Taylor's got the one in two spots, uh, which is pretty impressive of all time for Spotify. Not bad. Um, Although we knew this was going to be a big deal uh, uh, because 1989 is one of her most cherished records. It's one of her best selling records. Um, So yeah, the re-record, of course, is just going to be just as big of a deal. Yeah, uh, I unfortunately did not participate in that because I didn't listen to it via Spotify. Um, well, me neither, but... <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the lossless audio version then <laughs> of 1989, Taylor's version. Yes, those fancy pants are too fancy for Spotify's uh, only 320 uh, megabit per second recording. It's not, it's not good enough for us. We need more. Um, yes, yeah, so we both listened to 1989, Taylor's version. Of course we did. We're the Media Boat Podcast. What did you expect us to do? Um, and yeah, it's it's yet another uh, re-record in her re-recording project. This is, like I said, one of her most beloved records. It has some of her biggest hits of all time on it. Um, it had, what, three number ones? Four number ones, I think, in its original run. four, yeah. Blank Space, Wildest Dreams... Bad blood, bad blood, and did style style hit number one? That's the question. I'm not sure. Regardless, um, yeah, just like hit after hit, and was a huge financial success. Um, now we have the Taylor's version. Yeah, shake it off in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shake it off. I must have forgotten. Shake it off. Oops. Uh, so yeah, it was it's a okay. Big shake success. it off and move on. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big success, needless to say. So before we dive into the vault tracks. What did you think about the sound of the songs we are familiar with? Um, how do you think the re-record treated 1989 overall? Uh, I think it amped up more of what the sound was in the early 2000s, hitting a lot more on those kind of electronic beats, electronic pop songs, um, going into a lot of more of like the new song like from the vault track, though. I still don't see why people crave new romantics. I listen to it. It's good. But, yeah, you're giving me faces. I see this. <laughs> yes, for the audio listeners. I am aghast. <laughs> it's um, good. It's not like, oh, it needed to be on the album. If anything, a lot of these uh, tracks, especially the way they were re- recorded, re-recorded, might I say, uh, definitely helps with the flow between what was 1989 and how it went into um, the transition into a reputation, the album after I definitely hear a lot more of that in this production. I'm like, Oh, I see those elements now looking back at it. Yeah. I see what you mean in the production, because you can tell that Jack Antonoff, if he was able to take a time machine back to 2014, he would do different things with the songs on 1989. The 
re-recordings are mostly faithful, but every once in a while I hear something that little bits and pieces that they've added in the background and the mix is a little different. Different instruments are more isolated. So you can, depending on how you're listening to it, hear different things in different areas of the mix than they used to be. I think that benefits a lot of the songs, except for the, especially, I mean, especially the Jack Antonoff tracks. The Max Martin tracks, I feel like suffer a little bit more here because apparently he didn't come back to work on them. Fun fact. Hmm. Um, just like Red, Taylor's version. Max Martin, not involved in the re-records. I don't know why. Um, I think it has something to do with Taylor about wanting to have re retain writing credits for her or something. I don't know. But regardless, you can tell that a little bit of that chain has been removed from some of his tracks. That being said, overall, I was pretty satisfied uh, with, with how they sound. I know a lot of people on the internet are criticizing the style mix. I don't hear what they're hearing. I don't know. Uh, but I think it sounds all right for what it is. As for those bonus tracks, which you incorrectly referred to as vault tracks, New Romantics is the second best Taylor song, and you're wrong, is what I have to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you hear me roll my eyes even louder? Oh. Now, if you were making an argument for like against uh, Wonderland, which I think is bad, uh, then I would listen to you. But <laughs> New Romantics is good, unlike Wonderland, which is bad. So... I didn't say it was bad. I said it was good, <laughs> but not great to where you're putting it like the number two slot there. Mm -hmm. Old timer. It's an all time classic. Anyways, so let's talk about the vault track. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, which of course is slut exclamation point. Before oh, you're not gonna this... scream it? No, I'm not gonna scream it. Um before this came out, everybody was like, What the hell is this song gonna sound like? What is this gonna be? A song called Slut Exclamation Point? Mm-hmm. Well, what we got was kind of not what anybody anticipated. Uh, what did you think about the song? Uh, I mean, it kind of falls in line with Taylor Swift of, if you're going to call me a slut, I'm just going to own it then and just make it my own and take the power away from you, which is more or less kind of what a lot of the tracks on 1989 kind of are, especially the track that's uh, number that beat it in uh, the streaming <laughs> style. Yeah. I think its companion piece is really blank space. It's mm -hmm. kind of two sides of the same coin. Like I see blank space as the, I'm going to address this directly to my, like the people criticizing me. I'm going to say like, oh, this is, I'm going to lean into the persona that you're making up for me as this person who dates around a lot. Um, Slut, I think is like the inverse. Like I said, the opposite side of that coin. It's a conversation she's having with the person she's seeing. It's a conversation she's saying like, hey, to me, the relationship and the connection we have is worth the criticize like the criticism we're going to or not we're I'm if I'm Taylor going to receive because of it like she's basically saying it's worth it for it'll be worth it for once for the media to get on her case about seeing someone because their connection is that deep. I think that just make song. it the night yeah but does that just make it the yeah. nightmare version of Wildest Dreams? I mean, kind of but like I think Wildest Dreams is a romanticized version of that moment, the feeling that you have in that moment. Um, but yeah, I think so that's an interesting song. I think conceptually, it's probably a better concept than it is an actual song that I want to listen to. But then we get to the other vault tracks. Uh, I think overall, this is the best vault track collection on any of the re-records. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the quality is great because... They're all basically secretly bonus tracks off of Midnight's. <laughs> they all sound like Midnight's tracks, completely like mm -hmm. three out of the the five. Is there five? 
three out of the five, five yeah. sound like um they they're using the the chiming synth from bejeweled i immediately was like wait a minute and some of the other background effects from songs off of midnights are reused here in some interesting ways um and i like how they offer a more lyrically interesting slightly slower in tempo alternative to the back-to-back wall-to-wall pop pop sound of 1989. It makes you wonder if there was a longer deluxe version of 1989 that was released in 2014 with these tracks. It would be a more balanced record, I think, because I know that that there was a conversation and kind of criticism at the time of 1989 is that people thought that it wasn't as lyrically complex and poetic as Red, which had preceded it. So I think this is kind of that DNA from Red and her songwriting there peeking through a little bit into the 1989 era. And it's cool to get that kind of glimpse into it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I liked uh, Don't Say Go. Yeah. Out of all the, all of those five, more than Slut. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think overall, it's a good um, version like the good re-recording. Uh, I don't know if I'd put it above her other ones, like Red or even earlier this year. Wow. So you yeah. like to speak now of speak all now. tracks better than these? I think the production and the tone mm-hmm. is greater than the the difference between here. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I really enjoy these. Um, I think my personal favorites were probably uh well definitely is it over the the ending track is just mm-hmm. a dear john slash all too well style like i'm just going to go all out on x which is fantastic um allegedly about harry styles um and just really goes in on him and uh just the detail in it and the oh no's are fun it's kind of bringing back the oh no from blank space it like acts as kind of like a you can tell like the little connections between the songs throughout 1989. It's really cool to see some of the like ideas that are borrowed and kind of shared between the different songs from the same record. And also, uh, thanks for reminding everyone that Kendrick Lamar was on Bad Blood. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Um. I don't necessarily care that much about Bad Blood to start with. I think having the Kendrick Lamar version here is interesting as a like a trivia piece. Like, yeah, this happened. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't make the song that much better, in my opinion. It kind of weak. Um uh, well, that's also why it's like tacked on at the end. Yeah. But if you really want to know what we think of every uh Taylor Swift album track, you can look back into our archives and find us talking for hours about it back in March. So you do that. But in the meantime, yes. yeah, I think overall how I feel about 1989 Taylor's version. It does make me appreciate 1989 as a record a little bit more than maybe I did going in. Um, I think, like I said, I think the extra vault tracks offer like a peek into what her mind, like what was going through her mind at the time. And she did actually have more lyrically involved songs on the back burner that she instead shows the more sparse, more poppy, more immediate songs to replace. And I think ultimately she probably made the right decision. But to me, the depth that I think you get from seeing the full picture adds depth to 1989 as an album. And I think, yeah, it's a good package. And I think um, with the addition of both Evermore um, and Midnight's more recently, 
that people can go back and listen and more appreciate songs like This Love, Clean, You Are In Love. Kind of like those tracks yeah. that, that weren't the big hits, the big pop hits. Right. I think there is connective tissue also between this album and Midnight's. Like I said, I think I thought initially that Midnight's felt like almost a Lover sequel. But now I look back and like, no, maybe it has more in common with 1989 than Lover. Um, like sonically, I think they're, 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 they're going for similar vibes. And they were both big pop albums. Yeah. Hey. Anyway, so yeah, uh, I think it's good. And yeah, it's probably worth your time if you're curious at all about it. Yep, and I'm sure we'll see this at number one next week. Oh, guaranteed. Well, then, uh, let's move on then, and let's get into some video games. And we start with new releases, including Headbangers, <laughs> colon, Rhythm Royale yeah. for PC, PS5, Xbox Series X, and the Switch. A rhythm royale game? It is a rhythm-based battle royale. I have not actually looked at this up to see exactly how that works, but that's the pitch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can't you just call, make something like Guitar Hero 99 and have <laughs> 99 people play Guitar Hero? If you mess up, you're out. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd play that. <laughs> Of course, you gotta like dig out your old Guitar Hero set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also Jusant for the PC, mm-hmm. PS5, and Xbox Series X. There's that Don't Nod developed uh, climbing game. Yep. Uh, Alien Hominid HD for the PC, Xbox Series X, Xbox One, and the Switch. Not to be confused with Alien Hominid Invasion for the exact same platforms. Remember Alien Hominid? No. Well, yeah, that, well, there you go. If you do remember Alien Hominid, this, I guess, is a re-release for you. Uh, we also have Song of Nunu, colon, a League of Legends story for mm-hmm. everything. You got it? You can play it. I don't know what a Nunu is, but you can, you can, you can uh, get involved with one, I guess. I, I guess if you um, want to delve deeper into League of Legends, <laughs> and it's not a, uh, it's more of a single player game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have For the King 2 for the PC. My Time at Sandrock for everything. You got it. You can play it. Um, we also have Greenstone for everything. You got it. You can play it. Uh, and Thirsty Suitors. Up for everything. All right, now let's get to some nitty gritty actual like IPs here, because <laughs> we got RoboCop: colon, Rogue City for the PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. Yes, that is indeed a RoboCop game. Yeah. Set in 2023, three years after the setting of the initial RoboCop film. <laughs> Oh no, are we are you saying are you telling me that we should have Robocops wandering all around at this point? I mean, I think we do, but yes. Yeah, maybe we do. Maybe <laughs> we'll get to Robocops in another bit here. Um we also have the Smurfs 2, colon, the prisoner of the Greenstone. Oh, that was all in one. Yeah. Uh, for earlier PC. you just said Greenstone. Greenstone. Yes. Uh we have Star Ocean, colon, the second story. For PC, PS5, PS4, and the Switch. 
the Talos Principle 2 for PC, PS5, Xbox Series X. I might check this out because it is puzzle-based. Yeah, you love a puzzle game. I love my puzzle games. Uh, we also have DreamWorks All-Star Kart Racing for everything. You got it. You can play it. It's your favorite DreamWorks characters. Doing the Mario Kart. Favorite? Well, they're DreamWorks characters. <laughs> Fair enough. Which means you can have like three Jack Blacks all racing each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one in panda form. And one in shark form. We also have <laughs> EA Sports WRC for the PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. That is World Rally Championship. That is their first EA-branded rally game after they bought Codemasters last year. The rally car game. Yes. Uh, we also have Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl 2 for everything. You got it. You can play it. Is this one free? No. No. No, it's not. This is not a free product. This is, I believe the first one was also a paid product. You're thinking of the other one, uh, the car, the, the the Warner branded one. No, I'm not thinking of, uh, was it Versus? Yeah, Multiverses was Multiverses. a free play game. I thought the Nickelodeon one was free no. too. The Nickelodeon one was a paid product. The Multiverses was free to play. Maybe I played like the the uh, like alpha version then. May, there may have been some sort of beta, I think, or playable beta. Yeah, because we were playing it like initially. <laughs> uh, we also have WarioWare colon move it yep. for the Switch. Also, clear out your space. Fashion Dreamer for the Switch <laughs> is out. Uh, we also have Football Manager 2024 for everything. I believe this is the uh, soccer football manager, Correct. not yes. the American football. Right, manager. yes. And lastly, the Invincible for the PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. So I will be playing both WarioWare Move It and Fashion Dreamer before next week's show, so I will be able to talk about both of those games. Your Switch is going to get a lot of action between that and yep. still playing Mario. This has been the, the 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 fall of the Switch for me, for sure. Not the fall of the Switch, but the I guess the autumn of the Switch is what I should have said. <laughs> but also the fall the of the Switch. The season of the Switch. Real. Yeah, season of the Switch. The season of the Switch. Yes. <laughs> we got there. Yeah. Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Halloween, let's get into some spooky news and yeah. more like downtrodden news. Uh, Bungie the makers of Destiny, is the latest Sony Interactive Entertainment Studio to be hit with layoffs. Last week, you noted we've talked about Media Molecule, also a Sony studio, also Mm -hmm. experiencing layoffs. While the scope of the job cuts is currently unclear, Bloomberg's reporter Jason Schreier claimed Bungie CEO Pete Parsons informed employees that a company-wide meeting would be held on Monday Uh, which was yesterday, to discuss the situation. One employee impacted by the layoffs is Destiny 2's community manager and Bungie co-lead of accessibility, Lina Rupert. In the wake of this news, Bungie has reportedly delayed Destiny 2's upcoming expansion, The Final Shape, as well as its next full game, Marathon. Bungie CEO, uh... Parsons 
has addressed the news in a public statement. Quote, today is a sad day at Bungie as we say goodbye to colleagues who have all made a significant impact on our studio. What these exceptional individuals have contributed to our games and Bungie culture has been enormous and will continue to be a part of Bungie long into the future after we have stopped paying them for a significant amount of time. Oh boy. So, a couple of things uh, that seem to be the cause of this. One seems to be Sony corporate is making cuts in the PlayStation division because they're the only place where they're still profit. The rest of Sony is on fire because of the strikes and what have you and other and like, you know, the uh, pressure on the electronics department with with parts manufacturing and expenses keep like that keep rising. So it seems like as a corporation as a whole, they're making cuts anywhere that they can. And so we knew to a certain extent that more cuts were coming because of that. The other part of this that that uh, this comes from is Sony's also cracking down on teams involved in live games because if you go back a year prior to this, they were making a big deal about a new focus on live games and trying to get more internet, like online, all, always online live games like Destiny started rolling as fast as possible. Remember the stuff about the supposed multiplayer game that was going to uh, coincide with Last of Us 2? Mm-hmm. Then it got delayed, and then it got restructured. And then last month, a bunch of contract workers who were working on it got basically terminated from their contracts. This follows that, too. They're apparently streamlining the development of the next live game, Marathon, before it's even been basically started. And so, yeah, so it seems like from both, both are reasons why this is happening. Sony is trying to figure out what the priorities should be for the PlayStation division and trying to make cuts where they can. It just sucks for people who are working on Destiny, a very successful live game, probably one of the only successful live games. And to see that it's getting gutted too is really disappointing to see. Yeah, but let's take a look at what Sony Interactive has recently put out that's been a success for them. Last of Us Part Two, single player. God of War Ragnarok, single player. Um, Ratchet and Clank, single player. Uh, Spider-Man 2, single player. Um, <laughs> Horizon, Forbidden West, single player. A is... lot of a lot of yeah. Sony IP is streamlined to be single player and not necessarily online. Yes, but the problem with that and the, what Sony was trying to do was that they were trying to expand into live service games. So that way there were games that could be Fortnite for them and just keep making money forever instead of just making $70 per pop on one day that somebody chooses to buy it. And then maybe releasing a DLC pack for $20 a year or two later. They want constant revenue. Those venture capital people on the board want constant revenue. So it's just, even if a division is profitable, like the PlayStation division, because of these high-quality single-player games that have made them tons of money and also tons of critical praise, it's still not good enough for these people. They want money machines. They want an ATM to spit dollar bills at them forever. And they're running into problems getting those off the ground fast enough for their financial years to close. And so this wasn't fast enough for them, so they're cutting jobs. Hey, bring back PlayStation Home. 
Just let me wander around and buy digital equipment. Honestly, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a pitch that they could do, like a new version of home. Hopefully, they have the VR to do it too. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do. All right. Well, hey, maybe they'll just buy another company. It's it's in the rumors. It's it's rumored to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, But while they contemplate buying another company, uh, game maker Atari has indeed entered into an agreement to acquire a company, one Digital Eclipse, with the deal expected to be completed in the coming days. Atari will pay up to $20 million, which does seem like a low price tag when we're talking about studios here. <laughs> well, because we're used to billions when we're talking about those massive acquisitions. Yes, it's massive smaller acquisitions. Fish buying, uh, let's, say, let's say it's a, it's a small fish eating an even smaller fish. I know, we're talking about like $72 billion and $69 billion acquisitions, <laughs> and here you have $20 million to purchase uh, for the Digital Clips, the California-based uh, studio, which was founded in 1992 and specializes in remastering and restoring classic games. The deal includes $6.5 million in cash and stock on completion, plus an earnout of up to $13.5 million payable in cash over the next 10 years based on Digital Eclipse's future performance. Atari said the acquisition will, quote, further further support its retro-focused growth strategy. Following the acquisition of fellow retro remaster specialist Night Dive Studios earlier this year. Digital Eclipse from Atari CEO Wade Rosen Digital Eclipse is the best in the world at what they do. They have a deep love and respect for the history of the games industry and are renowned for developing critically acclaimed projects based on historic franchises. End quote. Yeah. There, and honestly, they've been on a roll lately. Um, last year's Atari 50 was really critically loved. It was kind of a breakdown of 50 years of Atari. It had a lot of history lessons as well as playable games and early versions of games that was interactive. It was like a history, like a documentary that you could play. And I heard a lot, a lot of really good things about it last year. And then this year, they just did the uh, re-release of Karataka the uh the the old school jordan mechner side-scrolling fighting game uh and there's like early versions of karate you can play as well as a lot of footage of jordan mechner working on the game when he was a super young game developer in the early 80s so they're really good and they've really nailed a strategy now of rebooting old franchises reintroducing old games to a new audience and giving a really historically bent like a uh, thorough exploration of them, which is really cool. I don't blame Atari for being interested in that because they see, oh, they can do this for all of our games. We can have like, you know, adventure, like a whole game just about the history of Atari adventure and stuff like that. It'd be great and people would eat it up. Um, and it seemed like the deal was pretty lucrative. Uh, that 10.5 million buyout, or sorry, that 13.5 million payout um, is really cool because if they keep making these really great put critically beloved games that sell decently, they're going to get paid off for that. And they're going to pay, be paid well. And everybody there is so talented, they totally deserve it. On the flip side, of course, you have to wonder, Atari hasn't had the most stellar last decade in the world. I think they're making these purchases because 
the last bunch of things that they tried totally failed. I mean, these are the guys that tried to sell you a hat that had speakers in it. These are the guys that tried to make Atari-themed hotels happen, and it ended up having to scrap that idea because one or two demo hotels totally failed. So they've been trying, scraping, trying to find something to do as Atari in 2023, even though they're not really the real Atari. They're French company Infogroms who bought the Atari name back in the 90s. But they're trying to <laughs> make money based on the old name Atari that still means something to some people, I guess. Everybody over the age 40, I guess. And um, this is, I think, the best idea that they've had yet. How dare you throw a history lesson into this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For those of you who haven't been following the video game industry for as long as I stupidly have, um, <laughs> then yeah, that's, that's a fun fact for y'all. The actual Atari died in the late 80s. Um, it's it's complicated. It involves Warner Brothers. Look it up. Anyways. Anyways. Um, I mean, congratulations on the payout. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Hopefully 20 that years? 20 years? Yeah. 20 uh, years? $20 million? 10 years. 10 years. 13.5? Well, no, the studio was founded in 92. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 20 years. $20 million. I guess, hey, they're worth it. But yeah, um, there's really good people over there, so I really hope that they succeed. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, did you play anything besides more Mario Wonder? Uh, just more Mario Wonder. I actually have an art, a write-up, a thoughts post that went up on the website today if you want to check out my written thoughts about it. Um, that's there, mediaboatpodcast.com. Did you beat the game already? No, I am in the last world. Okay. And I'm having some difficulty in some of the final stages. And so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to write this now instead of whacking my head against the wall for the next few days and trying to, and keeping it away from the release window. Yeah. Right. Uh, still playing Spider-Man 2, still streaming it. Uh, probably won't be streaming it as consistently, but I will still be posting photos on uh, Twitter X when I, uh, when I uh, complete a section of the game. Indeed. Looking forward to more comic book covers and weird-ass uh, poses and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm having fun with the filters. Oh, filters and poses. Why that? All right. And that, with that then, we'll move on to the second half of the show, where we move into television. And we only start the television section with the sports corner. We start sports with... Some NFL news for you. Quarterback Bryce Young has finally won a game. Everybody give him a round of applause. Yay. Yay. This did. does mean that the uh, 2008 Detroit Lions once again hold the record for being the only winless team in the NFL. Damn. Damn. Meanwhile, the trade line, trade deadline in the NFL ends today. Anything interesting trade-wise? Yes. We had a lot of different moves, especially on the defensive side, where uh, the Washington Commanders had a fire sale with both <laughs> the former number two overall pick Chase Young going to the <laughs> San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and then uh, linebacker Montez Sweet or Sweat. Oh, Sweet. Yes. Uh, going to Chicago. I have to say, earlier I was on Twitter and I saw <laughs> Sweat was trending, and I was yes. like, "Why is the word sweat trending?" That's so why. That, thank you. Now this makes sense. Sorry, Mister Sweet. Yes, Mister Sweet. <laughs> um, 
We also had uh, other defensive end, Leonard Williams, going from the Giants to Seattle. So that's another two <laughs> um, high-profile defensive ends coming into the Rams division. Yeah. And lastly, this past week, um, five starting quarterbacks promptly got injured, and a couple of them out for the season. Yikes. So. Uh, former Arizona starting quarterback through eight weeks, Joshua Dobbs, is now going over to Minnesota as Kirk Cousins suffered an Achilles Yikes. tear. So. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a horror weekend to be a quarterback as mm-hmm. five starting quarterbacks got injured this past week um, and a total of 13 different backup quarterbacks went in this past weekend. 13 out of 32 teams. Yeah. Halloween came early for the NFL, sounds like. Yes. Meanwhile, moving on into Major League Baseball, the World Series has begun and is in progress. The Texas Rangers are up 2-1 to against the Arizona Diamondbacks. The series has been pretty fun, if a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been cool to see this differentiation between who's good at home and who's good away, like good away, still matter even in the World Series. It's just wild, this back and forth. If it continues going back and forth, this will probably be a pretty close series, which is exciting. It's also good to see that it's got a good uh, combination of both hitting mm-hmm. and fielding play. Um, yes. Most of the time you see like all the hits and the bombs happen in the beginning, so mm-hmm. like in the first three innings, but as things settle and cool down, you see some really good uh, defensive plays being made as well. And some really impressive pitching, honestly, for two teams that aren't necessarily super known for their pitching. They've mm-hmm. got some killer pitchers. Uh, the the Rangers really shocked, shocked everyone with how Evaldi just completely just dominated. And like, it's just going to keep happening with their, because they have a pretty deep bullpen. Um, it's going to be an interesting series, I think, as it continues. Uh, I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. Uh, I'm not sure either. I mean, I'm hoping the D-backs can mm-hmm. uh, come back and make it a series just so Again, it stays it's our, in the NL over yeah, there. It's our, it's our AL West bitterness for being in the same division as them. Um, I but, mean, when you have the second place in the AL West going up against the second place in the NL West, yeah, uh, half the country over there on the East Coast doesn't give a crap about what's going on in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, though, the Diamondbacks also are snakes, which is very cute. I think snakes are cute, and so I want snakes to win. Little, little cute little snakes, like they're just they're just just on their bellies, just wiggling around. It's cute. Just saying. What? Are you giving Are you giving the snakes a hand? I am giving the snakes a hand. Come on, snakes. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's move on. Uh, meanwhile, hockey continues. The NHL uh, is. Continuing just recently started season, Boston and Las Vegas remain the only teams undefeated. Meanwhile, the San Jose Sharks, eight losses and one tie. Uh, eight losses and one loss in overtime. That they, they do not do ties wait, in the, the NHL. Wait, what? Yeah. That is an overtime loss, meaning you they still get one point. Overtime losses as a separate thing than a loss? Yes. Because if you Why? win the game, if you win, you win. There's no like overtime win. It goes win, loss, and then you lost in overtime, where you still get a point because you made it to overtime, but you lost. So you don't get two points for a win. You get the one point for 
for the tie through I, regulation. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. They tie through regulation, but you got to have a winner, you know? Yeah, I know. So just say it's a win or a loss. But well, on, baseball does it. <laughs> Bonus innings. It's not hard. They can just, yeah, whatever. Anyways, I'm just saying every other sport has figured this out. I don't know why uh, hockey is weird. <laughs> it's Canadian. Yeah, it's Canadian, it, I guess. Yes, where they want to applaud you for getting to bonus time. Yeah. And then meanwhile, in the Superior National Basketball League, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Boston, Denver, and Dallas are undefeated so far. Houston and Memphis are still winless. Meanwhile, adopted team uh, over here in our household, the Minnesota, or not Minnesota, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, they are 2-1 and one after being beaten by uh, the Golden State Warriors yesterday. And in trade news, one week after the season has started, James the Weird Beard Harden, <laughs> as we reported back in the summer when he demanded a trade from the 76ers, right. finally got his trade. Got it. To L.A., his <laughs> little sister, <laughs> the Clippers. Oh, the Clippers. Yeah. So now he gets to play with uh, Kawhi Leonard and um, Westbrook. So, you know, it's like the 2017 All-Star team in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> wow, deja vu all over again, I guess. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, that's it for Real Sports. We also have NASCAR. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's harsh. Sorry. NASCAR news this week. Ryan Blaney, Christopher Bell, William Byron, and the speed racist himself are the final four going into the Phoenix Championship this weekend. Yep. So while there have been three stages leading up to this of three races, Championship Weekend gets one race to decide it all. You put them all okay. on the track. You put the four guys who actually matter on the track with... 26 other guys who don't matter <laughs> and could possibly ruin it for one of them get one night to run around the Phoenix Raceway to decide the champion. Whoever crosses that green, that uh, checker flag first amongst these four will become the, your 2023 NASCAR champion. I'm rooting for an upset. Let's see some chaos. Just like the Diamondbacks, bring the chaos. Let's We're rooting for Blaney here, especially since he won this past weekend in order to secure his spot. Um, but yeah, um, we're we're rooting for Blaney and Blaney's ladies. Blaney's ladies. Yes, that, that that's that's what uh, Blaney's ladies fans call themselves. They're Blaney's ladies. Good to know. Yep. Anyways, enough about Blaney's ladies. Anything else in sports that we need to talk about before we move on? Uh, I mean, I so. this past week was the best week in sports where all sports Everything. were being played at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so There's as soon as the World Series ends this week, um, then we have to wait a whole other year for it to happen. But yeah, yeah, enjoying all the sports that are currently going on. I mean, hell, this is probably the first time that I've ever like been like I had one night last week where I was switching between two games. Yeah, Which I've never sports. done before. Yeah. Two, two different sports, too, where I was like, like maybe the same sport have done that, but not with two different sports before. I was like, oh, wow, this is new. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sports, they're happening. They're everywhere. Anyway, but they're not happening anymore because now we have to move on to television news <laughs> uh, where we catch up with the newest news from the SAG-AFTRA strike. 
thousands of stars, including Sarah Paulson, Sandra O, oh, David Diggs, Pedro Pascal, and Cal Penn, aka everyone who Christy thinks is hot, will uh, address the SAG after <laughs> more or less, uh, SAG after negotiating committee, declaring that they would rather stay on strike than accept a bad deal. Quote, back in June, before we went on strike, a large member of group a large group of members signed an open letter telling our leaders that we would rather go on strike than take a bad deal. Now, more than 100 days into our strike, that is still true. As hard as it is, we would rather stay on strike than take a bad deal. I feel like I'm reading the same two words a billion times in a row. The letter opens, quote, we cannot and will not accept a contract that fails to address the vital and existential problems that we all need fixed. End quote. SAG-AFTRA and the Hollywood Studios will be back at the negotiation table this week, today, as both sides remain, quote, far apart on key issues, according to the union. And after a day of talks, they will meet once again tomorrow. I figured they for would. For more productive talks. I keep trying to refresh and see if we get a deal. <laughs> the answer is no, not no. yet. <laughs> I imagine that since last week, we we were totally right. Let's pick up the phone because we did it again. Uh, that yeah, apparently talks broke down hours later and just uh, didn't didn't work at all because just how big that gap is still. And so I can't imagine things have changed that much in one week. But with the with you know time running out for these studios to make decisions about the rest of their year, they might have to do a deal soon to try to salvage some of their business. I mean, we'll get into mo- into the movie section where yeah. one company is starting to make. Uh, moves affecting yeah. next year and the year after but yeah i mean if production doesn't get rolling on both tv and films that that require these actors um i mean technically we're getting into november as of the end of this podcast we are yeah. in november and there are two months left in the year yeah they're running out of time you got to figure this stuff out but i'm hoping that the actors win the negotiations and get what they deserve because yeah, it's got to move. It's got to something's got to give. And from what we've been um, broadcasting here, and what we've seen of people donating, especially actors donating to help fund other actors, they can go on for quite a while, more yeah. so than uh, probably the WGA could. Yes, we will see. But anyway, let's Anyways. move on to a slightly more uh, kid-friendly story. Yeah, let's as... take it to the streets. As I show you that I know the way, the way to Sesame Street. The long-running children's series will be getting a creative overhaul for its 56th season, which will debut in 2025. The most significant change will see the program drop the magazine-style format, as is long used, in favor of two longer, more narrative-driven segments, which will be paired with a new animated series, Tales from 123. Oh, come on, and, say it in the spooky voice, because it's Halloween. Tales from one, two, three. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. The new format will feature two 11-minute story segments with the new animated series sandwiched right in between them. The changes are the most significant for Sesame Street since 2016, when the show went from one hour to 30 minutes, and from PPS to HBO. Sesame Street is nearing the end of a five-year deal with Warner Brothers Discovery, which currently debuts new episodes on Max streaming service. The episodes also air on PBS after a nine-month delay. As it happens, Sesame Workshop's current deal with Warner Brothers Discovery ends after season 55, 
which will begin about a year from now in 2024, meaning that the new look Sesame Street will coincide with the beginning of its next rights deal. New episodes will debut on whatever channel or platform picks up the show, be it with Warner Brothers and Max or somewhere else if they choose not to renew. So we could have a future where this is a Netflix show or a Disney Plus deal because they already have the Muppets there. There's so Mm -hmm. many options they could do. Uh, What do you think about a format change, though, after, what, 56 years of television? I could see this easily going to Disney Plus since they seem to be in a buying mood. Um, This deal also coincided with news about Disney possibly needing either selling or purchasing Comcast's 33% stake as that those negotiations will start tomorrow as well. So uh, I could see this going to Disney Plus and they just siphon off both a part of Hulu and Disney to just be kid friendly. I mean, yeah. And just 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 slap uh, the, hey, Sesame Street is now over here. Along with Mickey and friends and Kermit and friends. They already have this branding. It's called Disney Junior. Yes. Call it that. Um, Yeah, I can see it. I will have to ask uh, resident Sesame Street expert Christy what she thinks later about this move uh, because she loves Sesame Street. I mean, it is definitely going into a more modern trend of two 11-minute segments. Yeah. Yeah. as we've seen a lot, especially with cartoons, how they um, do those two 11-minute segments and then a animated Tales from 1, 2, 3. In between, as a kind of bridge between both would be an A story and a B story, probably. I do, I think I will kind of miss that magazine-style format where it is, hey, a little bit here, a little yeah. bit there. Let's check in over here. Let's check in over there with but, a fake yeah. kind of through line. But the good news is, is that if you want that, there's 50 plus years of Sesame Street that you can watch. So not on, not on uh, Max when they purge everything. <laughs> well, the good news is, is a lot of those clips are still on YouTube. The Sesame Street YouTube channel is very good about getting old stuff. Chrissy, you know, got got the like the bug to be to look up when Gloria Stefan was on in the '90s, and we found it, and we watched her do a couple of songs with the with the, the Sesame Street crew. So yeah, if you want that. There's ways to get it. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways. Let's move on, though, out of television news. You watch the show. What is Pluto? And is this about the planet or the Disney dog? This is about the Roman god of death. Pluto. So I was wrong in both counts. Got it. Yes, but it's only in, also in name only a uh, Roman god of death. Named Pluto. Uh, what it actually is is a variation or actually a take on the Isaac Asimov tale do robots dream of electric sheep this is a robot super this is a robot uh style future where a possible and I was telling you this sounds familiar a possible possibly a robot has gone on and killed a human but also other robots. Wait, so this is I, a robot? Possibly, yes. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of. Because it Go does on. follow a robot detective as he investigates a murder of both a robot and a human. Oh, so it's Blade Runner. Yes. <laughs> like I said, something you've seen before, something you've heard before. <laughs> this is not technically new territory, 
but it is kind of more of a modern telling as much of a modern telling can be about robots and kind of do robots have feelings? Do they have like the will to live? Are they like capable of being more than what they're made of or what they were made for? Uh, Pluto follows a detective um, called Geech. Geets, I'm probably butchering that because it's a German name. <laughs> okay. Or no, Gutes, like Kazutite. I think that's where it's from, Gutes. Um, but as he investigates these different murders, and he realizes that these uh, murders from are, are targeting both humans who were in favor of a robot um, kind of uh, free free of the robot pact that was has been written into law into this world and then attacking nine of the most powerful robots ever created oh. with two of them being destroyed in the first episode so that leaves seven out there the seven deadliest robots that he must then bind and protect uh, as a robot murderer is after them Okay, it's and it's a Netflix anime style, uh, much the same way that uh, the Evangelion New Genesis uh, was last sure. year or two years ago. But uh, same kind of style, same kind of format. I really like the pacing of this, and surprisingly, after just watching the first episode, I it got to me in some like the heartstrings and kind of like, the things that they was going through, especially is. Um, the not the first segment of like the actual murder, but the second segment between a blind composer and his robot butler about whether or not a robot could, if a robot creates a piece of art, is it just repeating something uh, by piece of art? I mean, like uh, like composes a music composition. Is it just repeating and kind of creating based off of what it knows, or is it genuine inspiration? <laughs> compared to like what a human can do hey we're asking these questions this, now yeah and it's this uh goes into like this really like big deep kind of philosophical turn about like true inspiration and the meaning of like a human spirit does that exist in a robot if it contains all the knowledge that this person owns but can't like produce on its own because it's just like because we're always just repeating all of the knowledge that it has. Mm-hmm. But is that mm-hmm. knowledge like true inspiration or is it just, hey, I'm repeating these facts and eventually if I put them in the right order, something new will come out of it. I mean... It, it gets kind of heavy. It gets kind of yeah. like that like high concept that you want to see in a um, like robot future where you do kind of add those questions, as we, especially as we get closer towards AI slowly taking over all of our pockets yeah that's true um but yeah it's interesting um i will say that the episodes are very long each episode there's only eight episodes but they're each like an hour plus so it's gonna take some time going through all this i mean at least eight hours it would be nice if they would just chopped it up into 30 minute segments 40 minute segments and just do a 10 episode like a normal series but hey what are you gonna do yeah but um I mean, as animated stuff on Netflix goes, it's like seems like we're seeing the last like pieces of that huge animation push that they made a couple of years ago, and the fact that this still, d- still exists, got to exist, 
and it wasn't immediately canceled. It's cool. I'm glad that some of this stuff lasted and survived. Um, and yeah, it seems like seems like some thought provoking stuff for people who are into that kind of sci fi. Yeah, it like, like I said, it definitely takes from Asimov and the electric dreams mm-hmm. of sheep. Of I'm oh, sorry, do robots dream of electric Mareeps? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mareeps are electric, so yes, but that's why the Mareep jumps like in their head, they're counting Mareeps. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, anyway, that's on Netflix. All episodes are up, eight episodes. Check it out. Definitely worth a binge over a weekend or, hey, um, some themes can be heavy, so maybe an episode a day. <laughs> yeah, for that length, for sure. Anything else on TV that we need to talk about? Uh, I mean, as soon as sports kind of wraps up, maybe you'll see a return to form, but hey, while SAG-AFTRA is still going on and on their strike, yeah. uh, actual return of TV is going to be delayed so that way they can get actors to re-promote their seasons that have filmed. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of a dead zone right now for us as well, so we're kind of playing a catch-up on some older stuff. Yep. All right, with that, let's move on then into cancellations and renewals. What am I no longer watching? Thank you for saying the line. Two cancellations this week. Rabbit Hole got canceled after one season on Paramount Plus, and Fatal Attraction also canceled after one season on Paramount Plus. There's a pattern here. Then we also have some deaths this week. First up, we have Richard Mole, age 80, who's an actor in shows like Night Court, House, Bat- and Batman the Animated Series. Among uh, He was the bailiff on Night Court, the original Night Court. Aha. Was he in the reboot? Uh, I don't remember if he was in the reboot. I had stopped watching after like four episodes. I mean, I stopped watching after one, so that's why I asked. <laughs> uh, next up, we're just talking about Shaft. Richard Roundtree, specifically age 81, the original Shaft, was also in movies such as Seven and Speed Racer. I mean, a little on the older side, but still, just a legendary, like, figure with a lot of memorable roles especially shaft yeah uh saw this after we had just wrapped up our podcast last week so that's why it's coming up this time yes and then lastly the one that most people were talking about this week probably the the tv news if i had to like actually put into tv news yeah um matthew perry age 54 of course most really mostly remembered as chandler from friends was also in uh, The Whole Nine Yards and Fool's Rush In, among other roles yeah. over the years. The reboot of The Odd Couple a couple yep. years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, known for having kind of an up and down uh, life, had a relationship with drugs, was in rehab 16 times, I think is the number. Uh, released a memoir last year going in depth about his, you know, his substance abuse problems and having to deal with them while being a huge star on Friends and filming a lot of the last couple of seasons in and out of rehab and being having driven back and forth uh, between the set and back to hospitals, um, did not quite have a charmed life. Seems like he was a complicated guy who was dealing with some real uh, demons. And um, it is interesting then uh, that as far as all the research shows so far is that he did not die of an overdose. He just 
drowned in his jacuzzi for unexplained reasons. Um, there seemed to be a cardiac arrest, perhaps, involved, um, but it doesn't seem like substances were the source. At least that's the story as of this recording. Yeah, um, the one I saw was cardiac arrest yeah. in his jacuzzi. So yeah, it's um, it's a sad, tragic story of a sad, tragic guy. Uh, but on the flip side, he brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. Friends was the biggest show in the world uh, back when it was airing, and it's still a huge hit in repeats and on streaming. And mm-hmm. like generations of people use it as like a comfort show and like this thing that that is always on in the background. And I think that the character of Chandler is going to live on, and his legacy uh, will be that. And will be the the laughs that he gave to people. Yep. Even the generations of people who were born after the show stopped airing episodes, right? Still uh, resonate with Friends. Um, just going to show both the writing and the actors who were in it. Um, both TNT, or sorry, TBS and Nick mm-hmm. and Knight. They obviously both yeah. run repeats this entire week. They'll be doing Friends tribute to Matthew Perry. Um, you saw all over social media, different actors come out, different people from all walks of life mm-hmm. to say how influential and how um, relatable Chandler Bing was and just how Matthew Perry brought that character to life. Yeah. Um, right now on HBO Max, in front of every new season, um, basically the first season of the new, first episode of a new season, there'll be a 10 second title card that says, Matthew Perry, uh, in Morium, uh, things like eighty, uh, seven sixty-eight to twenty twenty-three, like his date range. Uh, but yeah, um, will be missed. Um, one of six, two actually two of seven. We had a uh, Michael. Uh, was it Michael Gunther? Passed last year. Mm, yeah right right michael um, tyler something damn it <laughs> <laughs> something anyways yes. um yeah uh it's it's a sad one but yeah i think that there'll always be a piece of him on streaming and on television and yeah that'll be ultimately what he'll be remembered for all right let's move on out of deaths into the movies section and let's start with the weekend box office numbers and drum roll please because we have a new number one your new number one is the video game adaptation five nights at freddy's with a 80 million dollar debut followed directly by number two taylor swift the heiress tour with another 15 million dollars that's at 150 number three killers of the flower moon with $9.3 $9.3 million this week at a $40 million domestic total. After Death with $5 million. That's debuting with five. Mm-hmm. And rounding out your top five, The Exorcist, The Believer, $3.2 million this week at 549 domestic. Yes, I'm not reading that wrong. Wait, am I? Because that's well, way yes, too high are. of a number. Yes, you are. You are reading that wrong. <laughs> you wrote it wrong. No, no, I had a different number. <laughs> All right, $59 million makes a lot more sense. I all of a sudden was like, wait a minute, is The Exorcist the Believer the best performing movie of all year? Nope, <laughs> we'll get to that, though. We'll get there. But in the meantime, you guys, and in case you're wondering where Freelance is, another debut this week, way down number eight at $2 million. 
Anyways, moving on. Upcoming releases this week. Well, there's just, just one. one. Hey, do you like Elvis? But do you like Priscilla better? Well, do I have a movie for you? Priscilla, uh, directed by Sofia Coppola, is the second in two th- in two and a half years uh, film uh, biopic based on someone involved in Elvis. Uh, except this time, it doesn't have Austin Butler. Uh, doing that weird ass performance, so maybe it'll be better this time. You mean it doesn't have Tom Hanks doing a weird ass voice? That too. Uh, early buzz seems positive on this. I'd like to see how this does. Uh, Sofia Coppola needs a win. It's been kind of eh, middling results for a while. Um, so to see her make a big comeback would be cool. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on then into movie news. Our first story is actually, you know what? I'm going to reverse these because you are going to talk about one of these. So yes. I will give you the um, the segue the courtesy by starting instead with a story about Disney. You mentioned earlier that Disney is among studios that are having to make plans and or delays on stuff that's coming out later this year or next year in accordance with SAG after strikes, keeping them from promoting these films. They finally announced that they are delaying the release of their live-action Snow White movie starring Rachel Ziegler by a year from March 22nd, 2024 to March 21st, 2025. The other move they're making is Pixar's animated film Elio, which is being pushed back by more than a year from March 1st, 2024 to June 13th of 25. Disney said Disney and Surflight have also removed Magazine Dreams starring Jonathan Majors can probably guess why they're doing that, uh, from their December 2023 calendar. Earlier this week, Disney's Bob Iger and other Hollywood CEOs told SAG-AFTRA that the deadline is all but upon them in terms of having to decide which films to push if the two sides can't come to a resolution. Multiple sources say that that deadline is the first week of November, if not November 1st, so expect more release date changes in the coming days should the strike talks fall apart in particular regarding 2024's summer schedule. So all eyes are on that. Yep, as we get into those talks as we talked about this week, they will be once again back at the negotiation table tomorrow on Wednesday after the recording of this podcast. So mm-hmm. it's either going to be one of two ways. I mean, I don't want to say which way, which way it looks like the dominoes are going to fall, but yeah. if a deal is made, we will still have a 2024 stout year, um, especially stuff that's been pushed back. Uh, but should things fall away and the strike continues, especially through the holidays into next year, because if a deal isn't made, I want to say in two weeks by the 13th, that week before Thanksgiving is going to be a chaotic week as I don't think either side will come to a terms before Thanksgiving the following week yeah, on the 25th or 26th. And then once that happens, everywhere in Hollywood shuts down through the year. So you, the time's actually ticking right now. Two weeks to make a deal, to strike to strike a deal through mm-hmm. the 13th. So we'll know. We'll know if we get an actual deal made or if more of these releases and pushes and we get a cold... Uh, winter this year on the strike lines. Or as cold as California weather will allow. (laughs) Yeah. We'll certainly see, but they're running out of time, so we'll find out. 
In the meantime, our next story has to do with this week's big release. None other than that movie we just talked about, Five Nights at Freddy's. It has already set a record, making a killing in its box office debut with $80 million in North America and $132 million globally off of just a $20 million budget. In just three days of release, Five Nights at Freddy's has already surpassed the entire global haul of 2022's Halloween Ends, which made $104 million, and will soon overtake 2021's Halloween Kills, which made $133 million, which had previously ranked as the biggest hybrid releases from Universal and Peacock. FNAF is already closely behind the likes of The Nun 2 at 85, Megan, or Intrigan as we call it here, 95 million, and Scream 6 at 108 million as easily the highest grossing horror films of the year. It is also the Those are domestic totals, by the way. (laughs) Yes. And uh, it's also the 19th Blumhouse film to open in first place. The second largest debut for a video game adaptation. No, it's not. People keep forgetting about Pokemon. The first movie is a video game adaptation. Sorry. <laughs> Same. It was um, an anime before it was a video game. But it's still a video game adaptation. Yes. Anyways, um, which of course is behind Super Mario Brothers movie, which debuted to 146. And the third biggest debut for any horror film this year. It no, For any horror film ever. Ever. Wow. With it making $123 million, the remake, and It Chapter 2 with $91 million. Um, I mean, no surprises really here. Five Nights and Freddy's is huge with the younger demographic. It has quite a following of people from internet fandom, especially YouTube fandom. I learned something that happens about that in the post-credits in this, this film that I was like, no, that's so stupid, that can't be real, and then found out it was real. Yes. So if you're seeing this, it's because you are a YouTube kid. Let's put it that way. And you yeah. care about the people who are in the YouTuber scene. And uh, yeah, it's a, a world I'm not privy to. Um, but it's enough of a fan base that they can have a turnout like this. It's an amazing total. I mean, the first game came out in 2015. Yeah. That's when uh, YouTube and a lot of the YouTubers were doing Let's Plays. And one of the most popular Let's Plays out there was Slenderman. But right behind Slenderman was Five Nights at Freddy's. And the creator, Scott Coffin, kept putting out more games, <laughs> then putting out more toys, then added books, and has now added a movie to a more convoluted story of Five Nights at Freddy's, or FNAF, FNAF. as you um, sneezed it into existence. Well, uh, Chrissy has told me that's what the kids will ask for if they come in looking for Five Nights and Freddy's books. They'll say, do you have FNAF? I'm looking for FNAF books. So it's the kids. Not yes, me. it is the kids. Uh, that is exactly what this is aimed for. Uh, as I was able to watch Five Nights at Freddy's, the Peacock version. Uh, this, uh, As mentioned in the story, this was both a day-in-date release on Peacock and theaters. No, I was not one of the $80 million being sent towards Universal. Instead, I used my subscription to watch uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, I figured. So, as for the story itself, uh, it definitely takes from the video game adaptation very loosely based because there's only so much like actual source material between... It's a Chuck E. Cheese-like, run-down restaurant 
where the animatronics come to life at night and haunt a security guard. Because that's the basis of the first game. And yeah. I'm going to stick mainly to the first game because I'll, when you get to like all the other games, like all the sequels, and it gets into really, really weird lore, especially yeah. when you get into like Golden Freddies and Golden Bonnies and all those weird and fun uh, characters. It's too much. It does feel like too much, especially when it feels like um, the creator keeps trying to rewrite his own rules, even so much to the fact that he wrote books, that there are books <laughs> written about it that allude to um, stuff in the video games to say, hey, this is what I really meant about it. I just didn't want to say it at the time, but I just kept it vague and doing more of those like mystery boxes that J.J. Uh, Abrams loves to do. So eventually, like, I'll, I'll fix it with something. And hey, oh, yeah. this, this works now. I had a step- We're not here to talk about the video games, though. Right. I had a stepniece uh, try to explain some of this to me a couple of years ago, and I didn't follow any of it. But anyways, yes, go on. Yeah. Anyways, we're not here to talk about the video game side. Let's talk about the actual movie. And since the actual movie needed to have more of a human element to it than a um, a speechless, um, uh, a voiceless security mm-hmm. guard, as is in the first game, um, they enlisted... Um, actorless um josh hutchinson Hutchinson, <laughs> uh as the uh security guard mike um no relation no relation no uh <laughs> as the security guard to help patrol uh five the freddy's fazbear pizzeria but we need to give a reason as to why um mike is there and it turns out he has a sister no not a daughter a sister that he has to look after and um in order to uh, maintain custody he needs to have a job so he reluctantly takes the job at the pizzeria mm. wherein we expect to see both animatronics come to life and kill people you know <laughs> that's what you want to see in a, a FNAF movie that's why you're it, there yes i understand it's about the the complicated ways in which people die no this isn't saw okay well you know what I mean. Yes. In a more kid-friendly way. Yes. In a, hey, uh, the uh, Chuck E. Cheese-esque restaurant is really messed up if these animatronics came to life and wanted to kill you <laughs> to exact revenge on the child souls that are trapped in their bodies. Yes, I see you getting those weird, like, what am I getting into here <laughs> kind of vibes. <laughs> I mean, I've already accept- accepted that this is not for me, but yes, go on. Uh, but yeah, uh, it takes the elements from the games and just very basic elements of like, hey, this is what happens. This is where we need to get to and adds them into this movie while trying to maintain a human element between the brother and daughter relationship of mm-hmm. wanting to keep her instead of probably doing the smart thing and sending her to her aunt so she can properly raise the child because you, security guard Josh Hutchinson, are a screw-up, and they made sure to hammer that point home the first <laughs> 10 minutes, to the point where, why am I rooting for this guy again? Just because he, like, is trying to take care of his sister? I guess. Uh, it uh, Overall, this, this film just feels like a first-time director, mm-hmm. which it is. Director first-timer. Um, but also that the script went through several revisions uh, because none of it was good enough 
to maintain a cohesive story to keep me interested in rooting for these characters. Mm -hmm. There's definitely several tonal split flashes, especially with the uh, cop character, Vanessa, where it's like, I'm here to help you, but you need to stay away from these things. Like, I need you, like, I'm here to, like, be your friend and, like, work with you, um, Josh Hutchinson and sister. But you got to do what I say, because otherwise bad things will happen. Because I know more than I'm letting on. But I'm also not going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of tonal whiplashes to where we need to like both establish that this is a good person, but also they know way more than they're letting on. Uh, it's fine. I think I agree more with the critics on this and that it's more of like a 30% Rotten Tomatoes than the 88% praise that it's getting from the fans. I do think it's like, yeah, like I do think there's like too much of a pushback maybe from the people who are incensed that God forbid that critics don't like this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it seems like it's really meant for the super fans is what I'm getting from this. Uh, as much as it's meant for the super fans, a lot of it, uh, I think just because the way it was shot for a first time director and mm-hmm. just from a story, because it's gone through several visions being five years in development hell. I think we talked about it's being picked up for a film in like 2018. And here it is finally seeing the light of day. Um, well, not the light of day, but finally being put into production as it was earlier this year. Uh, so it's fine for what it is. I think it doesn't do a good job of saying, hey, if you like this movie, here's a bunch of the video games that you can now go try out. I think it's more of the opposite where, hey, you like all those video games? Well, here's a movie to um, continue yeah. the, the story. By the way, I misremembered. I looked up the box office gross for the first weekend of Pokemon, the first movie. Yeah. Actually kind of disappointing. Um, may It start had a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday premiere. So even after a Wednesday premiere, it only made 50, uh, 50 million in the first weekend. Yeah, but that's like $1998. It is $1998. So adjusted to, for inflation, it's one of the probably top five, but cold hard numbers and yeah and not as not quite as good <laughs> yeah just I was curious uh but yeah uh i'm not surprised it did well and yeah the critic audience uh discrepancy is curious to say the least yes but i'm happy to hear that more or less it seems that that's the kind of movie that you're getting into not a great horror movie but one that will have fan service enough to have like satisfy the people who are there to see it yeah, there are definitely several cameos, especially from prominent YouTubers who covered yeah. FNAF over the years, uh, make their um, face and uh, film debut for most people. Yes, yeah, I don't <laughs> know. It's weird. Again, not my not my purview, but people who are excited to see them will be excited to see them. I think yes. it will, it will see work a lot for of people, people it's meant for. Yeah, so there'll be a lot of, ooh, ooh, yeah. kind of reactions. Yeah. Uh, other than that, Matthew Lillard, um, if he's not the, if you're going to this and you see Matthew Lillard and you don't think he's going to be playing a prominent role, <laughs> one, um, not a very good uh, misdirect on their part. <laughs> yeah, but hey, um, they do kind of leave the door open for more sequels. Yes, that being said, most of the sequels in the actual video games follow a different security guard in a different uh, time frame, so it'll be interesting to see which characters they want to continue in the series, because hey, $20 million budget, $80 million gross, you're going to get a sequel if it's not already You're going to get a sequel. Hey, maybe that's for the better. I mean, you didn't like Josh Hutchinson anyway, so trade him in for somebody else. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I could see them doing that. It's like, hey, we'll go with these like this other character, and they'll bring Josh Hutchinson back in for the third or fourth movie, a la sis- Fast, a la Fast and Furious, <laughs> or the sister character grows up and it's about her instead. Yeah, know. could be all sorts of things. Anyways, let's move Anyways. on. You saw another movie this week. You're doing a little bit of 2023 catch up. Oh uh, yeah, because you know, while I was watching um, Five Nights at Freddy's, um, the advertisement for Ruby Gilman and Teenage Kraken. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Yeah. Kraken in a DreamWorks. <laughs> uh, kept Anyways. like saying, hey, this is also now available for you to watch. <laughs> so I decided to watch the 90 minute animated feature, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, then oh. the two hour uh, film <laughs> that is Asteroid City. <laughs> oh, right, yes. So tell me so about That's also Ruby all Peacock. Gil- yeah, tell me about Ruby Gilman, because this is a movie that seemed kind of charming in its trailer. I couldn't really necessarily tell much about, but then was completely forgotten by everyone. Let's see here. If Five Nights at Freddy's is a by-the-numbers horror film, yeah, Ruby Gilman is a by-the-numbers animated coming-of-age film. Sure. And by, by what I mean by-the-numbers, I mean you have the title character, has conflict with her mom, who also has conflict with her mom. So you have a generational uh, conflict going on. You also have the mother character not telling their the daughter that, hey, we are indeed um, like giant sea creature krakens. Even though they are indeed krakens, they acknowledge that they're krakens in the film, and they're playing off that they are from Canada in order to pass by existing in the human world um on land and everyone just accepts that they're blue which is <laughs> super weird <laughs> sure i have uh, the same problem with um um what was the the pixar one um but turning red Lu- luca luca, luca right? yes but anyway anyway never mind that's the one i kept thinking of with this thing <laughs> Yeah. I was trying to think of like why like this feels like it's both like turning red with the generous drama and some other film where I know I've seen this before about don't go into the water or don't go on the land, don't go somewhere. Yeah, think about Luca. Yeah. It's like, hey, don't do this. And yet the kid goes and does it and says, Hey, they're not that bad. And then they turn yeah. because hey, they are indeed that bad. It turns out your mom was right. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, well, it's easy to forget about Luca. I was like, well, this story is so damn familiar. <laughs> what the hell am I trying to compare this to? Yeah. So yeah, it's a very by the numbers um coming of age um story. I do have the issue with the teenager being able to take on the um decade-old villain who's fought the both the grandmother and the mother to come back and only to lose to the teenage daughter who doesn't know how to use her powers. Because hubris or whatever the hell they decide. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, But like I said, it's a by-the-numbers kind of animated feature. It's also a weird coming-of-age because it's not really coming-of-age as much as it probably wanted to be. It's stuck somewhere in this middle ground of we want to make sure and tell you consistently that she is 15 years old, but at the same time, she's talking about wanting to go to prom, but her mom doesn't want her to go to prom. So it's a very like teenagery problem esque sure. movie. It's 
it it exists pretty much it exists i kind of wish i didn't watch it but at the same time uh nothing really good came of nothing really bad came of watching it but nothing good came of watching it either it's like yeah i see what you're going for dreamworks here but also this has been feels like it's been done to death and doesn't really add anything new it's just the same like um generational uh fight slapped with a mermaid versus crack and coat seaside yeah. onto it <laughs> but yeah that's uh ruby gilman teenage cracking <laughs> yeah i don't know uh we might check it out i guess because there's so little else going on and maybe christy will want to watch mm-hmm. it but not super thrilled apparently <laughs> not thrilling no, no. enough I went in with low expectations, and somehow it, like, barely met them, I want to say. Oh, just like I said, by the numbers, just bring out your checklist. Like, yep, okay, they did this. Yes, they did this. Yes, they did this. I will say um, it does feel like they focus heavily on colors and lighting and dealing with the water, more so than they did with the story. So maybe we'll see some of this tech in future uh, DreamWorks films, but yeah, I think they focus too much on like the look at us like working with light and water and moving through water enough mm-hmm. to like justify this entire film because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to say, "Hey, look at us use this," but don't pay attention to the story. This, that's just how we we how we need to uh, work in using all of this new tech that we'd have. I mean, yeah. I mean, that used to be the classic argument about all these CG things that they're just vehicles for technology. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad that that's still the case for some of these in 2023. Sometimes they still end up that way, yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, well, that's disappointing, but uh, hey, the good news is you don't have to watch it. So it's very decent. Yes, we watch it so you don't have to. You. <laughs> exactly. Alright, anything else before we wrap up the show today? No, let's wrap up so I can go watch Spider-Man into the, uh, Across the Spider-Verse on Netflix. <laughs> well, we have our priorities in a row, don't we? So, well, it's either that or it's us. watching A Haunting in Venice on Hulu. Not watching the World Series game that's happening right now? That's what I'm going to be watching. That's what my phone's for. <laughs> all right that'll do it for the media book podcast this week on this spooky halloween we'll be back next week for a less spooky episode but one where i'm in staycation mode because i have the whole week off Ooh. also happy belated birthday to my co-host mike here who just had a wonderful birthday weekend yes. week i guess technically well i guess you probably did something over the weekend it was over the weekend yeah <laughs> but yeah um but yeah uh, so we'll be back for more next week tune in for that if you want to listen to us in audio form we're on podcast services such as apple Podcasts, google play amazon iHeartRadio, spotify even wherever you listen to podcasts just search media boat podcast we're also in video form on youtube if you search youtube for media boat podcast you'll find our channel there like subscribe click the bell for notifications when new videos go live you can also find us on social media, on Twitter, or X if you're nasty. You can find us at MediaBoatCast. You can find us on twitch.tv slash MediaBoat if you want to watch Mike play more Spider-Man 2. And you can find us on Facebook, I guess, if you want to, by searching Media Boat Podcast on there as well. Last but definitely not least, you can email us if you have questions, comments, feedback about the show, anything. 
by emailing us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. I think that's it. So thank you for joining us. And we'll be back next week for even more. Tune in for more thoughts, more news, more everything. All coming at you here. Well, we get into November news in our next episode as we get into more news, more thoughts, and more of us next time. Yes, go enjoy your Halloween, eat candy, and then stop eating candy after an hour of eating like all the candy you got. (laughs) And if you're like me, take some Prevacid so the candy doesn't give you acid reflux. See you guys. I'm 33. Bye. (laughs) Bye.